Welcome to The Why Word, the podcast that gets under the skin of entrepreneurs, business people, and basically anyone who makes things happen and asks why they do what they do. My name's Ian Hawkins, and in this episode, you will hear... In, in LA specifically, are very like there's a big difference between the online guys and the stand-up guys, and it's a big divide. And now all the, the stand-up guys have to go online, and they're kind of having to ask for help from these kids who they've been quite snooty to in the clubs because of their <laughs> online presence. That's the internet. You have to make a lot of guff to get that one diamond that shines through. That's just the nature of it. There's videos I've made and things I've said that people have taken real offence to and I, I know in my heart of heart, I can prove it, I can never prove it, but I know if a man had said it, nobody would care. Today, I'm talking to Ashley Story, Glaswegian comedian, podcaster, YouTuber, and star of any number of social media platforms that I don't yet know about. But I wanted to find out how to build an audience online and what the entertainment industry is doing when COVID means the comedy clubs are closed. Ashley Story, welcome to The Y Word. Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm on play days, like it's the Y Word stop. That's <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm trying to be very Radio 4. That was a happy place for me. So it wasn't a slight, it was a compliment from oh, a fan of play days. <laughs> Look, this is where we're going off the point. I've got, I've got a list of questions. Wait, wait, let's talk about building your, your audience online. Okay. Has it been a strategy and do you have a plan? Oh, yeah. It's always been strategic because I grew up watching... YouTube. So I watched the greats who, there are people who have no clue who I'm talking about, but I watched people like Philip DeFranco build a company from little black and white videos where he was talking nonsense in his mum's bedroom to a huge business where he sells product and he owns a company and he hires people and he's worth millions of pounds and he has this tangible thing based solely off little videos. And I watched how he did that and when I decided to move into online entertainment, it was always going to be inspired by people like DeFranco and like Rooster Teeth and like Casey Neistat, who who really saw it from both angles, weren't just having fun, but it was also a business. So there was a strategy. Whether or not I succeeded in it, obviously not. I don't own a massive business and I'm not selling lots of products, but I took the little bits of information that I wanted from them and kind of utilised it for my own goals, which was just to build a solid audience who I could rely upon to support me. Do we get a bit too het up when we talk about entertainment of, of you know, I haven't heard of them, therefore they, they're not any good or they're not a success? We do. I, I'm Scottish. So I can go to the fringe meet 20 um, comedians from Wales and England and they will have no clue who any Scottish comedians or talent are and we can have our own TV shows and our own radio shows and they'll just have no 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 awareness of us and so I, I'm, I'm pretty used to kind of being in a fringe but just being Scottish so yeah. I'm kind of used to being part of my own little economy that's maybe not recognised from the outside I think within each bubble, there's there's so many. I mean, you, you look at the kids who are millionaires off streaming Fortnite, minted, like beyond belief, beyond anybody can imagine from playing a silly game, a battle royale game. And right, yeah. there'll be businessmen who've got no clue. So it's just, it's we're all in our own little bubbles. But I think everyone's in a bubble because who's the French equivalent of Andrew Marr? Who is the... Italian Emily Maitlis? And they must exist, yeah. but, but we oh, they have... definitely do. 
It's, I saw it's a, a trailer that's about a French stand-up comedian who's huge in France. Like he's he's the he's the Jimmy Carr of France, but he comes to Britain and nobody has a clue who he is. I think it's a really explorable and fun thing. Is that there's different? I think it's there's different big stars and different different stratospheres, different different um, what you might call it galaxies. Maybe it's this this bubble thing is quite a good a good way to do your career because what you do is you you build and build and build and then you hit a plateau and then when you go for instance if you were to go to new york and you went into new york and, and you had to start absolutely at the ground again but people would go oh wait a minute ashley story is doing this open mic thing but she's obviously got skills that are way above this and you're clearly the best thing on this bill maybe that would be the boost that your career would, would take your career to the next bit because you do do live as well don't you i do do live i mean the likelihood of any of us getting to new york in our lifetime again is <laughs> well, <there is> slim <laughs> to none so that dream shattered thanks for the reminder um, <laughs> but yeah i did i do do live stuff but the online audience that you build that's the that's that's what makes sure that I sell out live shows at the Fringe. Did you ever intend to do live stuff or was it always going to, did you sort of say, I'm going to do podcasting and, and YouTubing instead and the live stuff has just sort of crept in? No, it was, it was probably all just a build up to the live stuff. I had big confidence issues and online stuff, podcasting first of all, because you're not visible, it's just your voice and then videos and then live stuff was just essentially me taking very small baby steps towards becoming a stand-up comedian which is Mm. what I was supposed to be doing anyway so it was a very it was just me being really slow (laughs) getting to getting to the job I was supposed to be doing and finding other things I was good at along the way but I'd highly suggest that to anybody who's got a goal in mind to just do the little things that you can do until you can do the big thing that you can't just now it's it's uh, it's ancillary stuff, isn't it? You've got um, because you can't do the live at the moment, but it doesn't feel like it like it's particularly holding you back because you've always had that online presence anyway. So you're just doing that more. Yeah, it's been a good fallback upon. I've got friends in LA who who are YouTube guys, and they were trying to get into stand up in the past couple of years, and a lot of the stand ups were very. In, in LA specifically are very like there's a big difference between the online guys and the stand-up guys and it's a big divide and now all the the stand-up guys have to go online and they're kind of having to ask for help from these kids who they've been quite snooty to in the clubs because of their <laughs> online presence. The great thing about the internet is it's not always the polished nut that does the best. Sometimes yeah. it's just that little weird real thing that happened or that little candid moment caught on tape or that, you know, one of the biggest videos that ever came out of Scotland was those two little girls going, I'm going to sing Cher Lloyd by Cher Lloyd. And this is Becky G. And then her mum walks in and goes, what one of you doesn't know how to flush the toilet? Disgusting. It's one of the biggest exports in Scotland (laughs) is that woman shouting at her daughters that they're disgusting. When Cher Lloyd tried to make her comeback, People on Twitter were like, I can't think of Cher Lloyd without thinking of the, that Scottish woman shouting, disgusting. She couldn't get over the fact that she had been trumped by those children and their mum shouting at them. The space in your brain gets occupied by these things and it's, it's repetition, it's currency, it's, rel- it's context, it's all kinds of other things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin you down, Ashley, because you, you said, oh, I can't imagine getting to New York again. 
although eventually things will open up. And then you casually drop into the conversation, your friends in LA. Now, New York is there if you want to go, surely. I, I was just being flipping about coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I don't know if I'll get to go anywhere. I mean, my friends in LA, most of them have come from New York to LA. Um, but all of my friends in America are people who I met online about 10 years ago who I've never met in real life, which is super weird to say. How, how are other people in the, in the comedy industry? How are people generally responding? People are trying their best. I'm not a fan of the online gig. I'm just doing straight stand-up to a quiet room and making people watch it at home. I'm not, I don't really want to do that. That's so when I have been asked to do online gigs. Rather than do stand-up, I've just done one of my characters or done a new character because that's what I'm used to doing online is doing a little pretending to be somebody else and I don't mind not getting laughs during that because that's what I make online anyway. Sure. Um, but people have been really diverse and people have been trying new stuff. I mean, I feel quite bad for the women and men in the erotic industries. Um, a lot of stand-ups have been encroaching on their space, like mm -hmm. um, subscription services that were kind of just for porn stars have now become... <laughs> places for comedians and pop stars as well which is super weird but really exciting um it's just it's it's been a it's been exciting this is sort of like the wild west people just sort of laying claim to new territory comedians who've never done it going on twitch streaming their computer games succeeding and failing people starting new podcasts it's big it's become this sort of necessity breeding ground of we have to do something so and that doesn't necessarily turn out the, the best work, but you don't make your best work unless you made a load of rubbish beforehand. So that's, that's the internet. You have to make a lot of guff to get that one diamond that shines through. That's just the nature of it. When you say about not being able to do stand-up to a quiet room, it's because stand-up really is that relationship you have with an audience, isn't it? And a character kind of exists in and of themselves. They don't need that feedback. They're telling their own truth, whether it's funny or not. I salute the men and women who are attempting to do stand-up gigs, where it's just them doing stand-up comedy. But when I watch it, it makes my tummy hurt. There's no back and forth. There's And also pace, your pace gets completely thrown off because you, you base your pace off of how much time you've got left. And, and are they laughing? Are they not laughing? Oh, I'm going to have to speed up because they laughed too long at that joke. Oh, I'm going to have to slow down because nobody laughed and I've still got 10 minutes to fill and I've rabbled through yeah. a 15-minute set in seven minutes. So it's... All of that goes and it becomes very stale and weird and it makes it, it's not that it's wrong. There are people who really enjoy it, but for me personally, it takes away what makes live comedy great and it's the liveness of it. Do you think it's easier for women to do co uh, character comedy than it is to do stand-up? I think it's more comfortable for women to do character comedy than it is for them to do stand-up because stand-up has traditionally been a masculine role, whereas character comedy on television and mainstream media in the 90s and 80s specifically, was more a female-orientated place with Fridge and Saunders dominating the field particularly. Mm -hmm. So I think it's psychologically easier for a woman to do a character because that feels more in her lane than doing stand-up comedy. But stand-up comedy is piss-easy, if you're honest. I was going to say, it is quite an exposing thing to do, stand-up, isn't it? Whereas character can be a, a, a barrier. Yeah. Characters, I find, I find doing a character the easiest, funniest. That it, it's, it's more like playing for me. It's just like play out. It's yeah. like being a kid. 
that's all it is. It's putting on a wig and going, oh, I've got a funny voice and this is where I live and I've got a house and these are my shoes. And just doing, like, that's that's what I did when I was from birth until I was, like, 20. So yeah. it's not weird for me. Stand-up comedy is like, you go on a stage, you present your inside core. If it's good stand-up, you go, this is me. Do you like this? And if they like it, then you keep going, oh, this is more of me. And if they don't like it, you go, let me show you this other part of me. What about that? Do you like that? What about that? What about that? And you keep pulling bits of yourself out until they go, ha. And then you're like, right, okay, these are weird. Do you like that a bit of me? Let me continue down this path with all the things about that bit. And that's what stand-up is. And it's if, you are, if you've got that bit of your brain that doesn't mind telling strangers stuff about yourself, you're fine. It's easy. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, because I know you'll give me a straight answer on this, is when I've talked to women comedians, they've said the reason why there aren't as many women as men in comedy is because the nature of going to do a gig late at night and having to get home by yourself is just more intimidating for women than it is for men. Some women, I guess, but some men would be scared. I don't, I don't feel that because I have a lack of fear walking about streets but that's because I'm a very tall, aggressively walky woman. Yeah. I don't, I, I'll tell a true, true truth. There was a man who had been accused of assaulting women. There was women getting assaulted in the walk between my house and the stand comedy club. And the, the police had posted a picture of what the man looked like. And I thought I saw him. So I decided to follow this man about the streets <laughs> after my gig <laughs> to see where he lived, to phone in a tip to the police. So that was, my mindset wasn't like, oh no, I can't walk through this bit. My mindset was, I want to find the rapey guy. But I think that there's less women comedy, not because, I think saying it's logistics of going back and forth, and I think that's a bit minimal, minimizing of yeah. the real reason. I think there's a million different reasons why there's not women in stand-up. The people who run stand-up, there's... The older people who run stand-up, there's an inherent sexism that they've got built into them, that they've had built into them for years that makes it difficult for a woman to be in stand-up. There's, yeah. um, there's the fact that people still say things like, oh, you're funny for a girl, or I usually don't like women, which is such a weird thing to me to say. Like, yeah. that's, that's a psychological thing that's built into thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And you can't fix that, you can't change that. So you just have to keep ploughing on. That's probably a reason. I mean, there must be women who have come off stage and had somebody say, oh, I wasn't going to laugh because you were a girl, but then you, you won me over. And so why bother? Because I'm already fighting a losing battle if I'm yeah. having to win you over because of my genre. Um, so there's a million things. I think just saying, no, it's the bussies is a bit... <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I started editing this podcast with a little bit of trepidation. What if Ashley and I just sat around chatting and laughing and having a good time? Great for us, but not really very good value for you as a listener. But what have we talked about? We've talked about finding a market. We've talked about finding a niche. We've talked about gender disparity in an industry. We've talked about entrepreneurialism. We've talked about international differences and, and how people are still trying to make a living during the COVID epidemic. So I feel like if you are blinded by the idea that Ashley's a comedian and therefore is what she says is trivial, then fine. You can switch off now because 
it's not going to be any use to you. But if you remember that she's an entrepreneur and making a living and paying her bills through her own creative output, then I think that's as valid as somebody that does anything in the creative industries. If you think that stand-up is something you could do, well then go ahead. There's a really low barrier to entry, but you could admit it's a really tough market. It's even tougher if you're going to start making financial demands and making it your actual career. So I think actually deserves all the respect you would give to any entrepreneur that's working under those conditions. What struck me though was that we were talking about the live comedy circuit being maybe a hostile place towards women and therefore it's more comfortable to do work online. But the online world hasn't exactly been a haven for for feminism either. I wanted to put it to Ashley that maybe maybe the online world is at least as hostile, if not more so, than the live comedy circuit. So I wonder whether you find the online world, as well as being supportive, sometimes a less friendly place. The online world is hideous. I've been in gigs where men have screamed at a comedian they didn't like and got upset and been dragged out. And then the shame of embarrassment from being seen screaming at a comedian they didn't like has made them leave. And they've been like, oh, I can't believe I got that worked up over a joke or whatever. I've seen people have come up to me and said, I didn't think you were funny. And I've been like, well, mate, you know, different strokes for different folks. And I've gone, ah, quite right, you walked away. And there's, there's, there's the accord of we are humans interacting and we're going to live by that. When you go online, all of those rules seem to go away. So people will just come at you. There's been days where I've had like 400 men and 98% of them have had either a football avatar or a football banner which makes me think that they're all on a football forum and they've decided to do this on the one day. But then they'll come at you and go, this isn't funny. This isn't comedy. This, I don't like this. I hope you die. I hope you get coronavirus because this joke isn't funny. And then it's like, I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh God, what did I say? Is this me laughing at Le Miserable as upset guys whose whole identity is football? Anybody whose whole identity is a thing are going to be awful people in any way, shape or form, because their whole identity is based around something that they didn't create and have no control over. So they feel very helpless. And that's a horrible position to be in. (laughs) My whole identity is based around being me. And that's really easy to control. So if it goes wrong, it's my fault because I'm me. And the internet does put tags on people, doesn't it? It goes, you're you're Trump, you're never Trump, you're an incel, you're a feminist, you're this, that and the other. And once you have that badge, it's really hard to, you know, break out of it. If, that, if you embrace that badge and you put that badge on you and you are like, this is what I am and I'm not going to talk about anything else but that thing, it just becomes, it becomes so unbearable to like yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel, that it, that, and it applies, like you say, it applies to anybody. This isn't just a football thing. This is a feminist thing. This is a, it, it applies to anything. Yeah. If you're too into that thing, it's really uncomfortable. So I could never understand why people said women aren't funny. I thought, right, that is absolutely nothing about any women that are making a living out of comedy. That tells me everything about you. Those people that are incapable of finding women funny, for them, it's all about the comedian has ultimate authority. Is going to really struggle to find that, per- to, to engage in what that person is doing. But isn't that sad that 
they probably have that constant fear of whatever their little group is of seeing them as anything less than full man. But that must be hideous. Must be such an anxious thing to live with of living up to other people's made up expectations. You probably don't care. That's the thing though. They probably don't care as much as they think they care. A woman couldn't be a leader, therefore a woman shouldn't really be a comedian. That's where they're thinking. There's videos I've made and things I've said that people have taken real offence to and I, I know in my heart of heart, I can't prove it, I can never prove it, but I know if a man had said it, nobody would care. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter and it wouldn't cause any form of controversy. Well, as your job is saying what you think to other people and communicating this message, do you think that you are making a difference? Do you think you are making people think differently? Is that your job? I think that's part of my job. I think saying things that specifically, like you said, you were talking about women and expectations of women and women can't swear and women can't do this. I feel like a big part of my job is saying a lot of the things that women have been told they shouldn't say. And that doesn't necessarily, I don't mean swearing, I mean just basic bodily functions that happen to us that nobody talks about and nobody says anything about. One in three women don't get a smear test because they're embarrassed and ashamed. So the only way to rectify that is to be that person who's not going to be embarrassed and ashamed then that's all it takes. I'm old enough to remember the very first Tampax adverts on telly and how none of them were allowed to have any red in the picture or in the palette of the whole thing. So, were so people it's like, shook when it happened? Were yeah. people like, when the first tampon adverts came on, were people like... <gasps> it, it, was a, it was an event. But because they'd taken all the red out of it, it was like watching um, Don't Look Now. You know, the horror movie where the only red is the little girl in the, in the, in the red uh, rain mac. Right, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I'm going to end on, on a question, okay? okay? So you can have anyone for a business lunch that you like to help your career. It uh, can be alive, dead, or fictional, doesn't matter. But who would you have for a business lunch? Ashley Story. Oh, I said his name before. It's going to be Philip DeFranco. He's my hero. He is my online hero, and he's, I think what he's done in terms of his business is phenomenal. Yeah. Would, you, would you think he would have a sort of you know, five-point plan, a step guide to how to get way, you know, to progress? I think he's, I, think he's, I mean, he's, he's sold companies and bought companies. He's bought himself out of a weird tie-up with Discovery. You know, he's, like, he's, he's battled on the online business front. Um, I think that he could probably aid me in getting to the next step and possibly give me some encouragement to be more proactive and less of a lazy layabout who just does TikToks because they're easy. Ashley Story, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was very nice to do something other than sit in my bed and take pictures of myself. So appreciated. Thanks to Ashley Story. If you'd like to find out more about her, you'll find links to all of her stuff in the show notes. And that's also where you'll find the Y Words contact details. So if you know of a great guest waiting to join us on the show, put them in touch. From me, Ian Hawkins, have a great time. Till next time. <laughs>